Good evening and welcome to Wednesday night on the Tim Hatch Live channel here on YouTube. I'm so glad that you are here. This is The Deep Dive, episode five of season five. And all I ask is that you subscribe. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here. There we go. Make sure you click that subscribe button and give the beer some love. I'm so glad that you are all here for this edition of our study through the book of Romans. And that is where we are going. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as we looked at Romans chapter 2. So would you do me a favor? Would you open your Bible or your phone Bible, whatever you want to do there? And then would you uh, as well join me in a word of prayer as we head into God's word? Amen. Father, thank you for the chance to hear your word. Thank you for the chance to teach your word and open our eyes to see Jesus in your word. We ask this in his mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's head into the book of Romans. First off, before we get into the text, check out the shirt. <laughs> you like it? It says, give it a rest. And uh, that's St. Augustine of Hippo. I picked this up at a Catholic gift shop in St. Augustine, Florida, over the summer when I went on vacation with my family. And it applies to our teaching today. Because what Paul is going to say to the Romans is, give it a rest. He's been talking to the uh, Romans now for two chapters and first chapter, he talks about the evils of the rebellious people and God's wrath, Romans chapter 1, and really is only half of Romans chapter 1 where he talks about that. And then in Romans chapter 2, he turns the page and he talks about the evil of religious zeal that has no grace. Now, I want to make sure that you're clear about those two audiences that Paul is talking to in the first two chapters of Romans. I'm going to put it on the screen. Romans chapter one is talking about the evil of rebellion, the bad people. Romans chapter two is talking about the good people, the evil of religious zeal that's devoid of God's grace. And so when we pick up Romans chapter two, verse 17, please understand that he's still in that. He's still in this group, chapter two's group. And it's important that you understand that. Let me recap from last week. Remember that in chapter 2, verse 1, he turns the page from the wrath of God that's revealed against those who are wicked. And then he kind of turns the page and he says, okay, now let me talk to you, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Bible camp, where he says to them, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, what judges who? The unrighteous people, the, the God, godless people who God gave up to their unrighteousness, their dishonorable passions, their evil, their sexual morality, their covetousness, their malice. You have no excuse because you judge them, but you do the same thing. And that's what Paul says here in Romans chapter 2. And then skipping down a little bit further, he goes to Romans chapter 2 verse 5. He says, because of your hard and penitent heart, you're storing up wrath for the day of God's judgment. Romans chapter 2 verse 9 Back to the Bible camp. Romans chapter 2, verse 9, what does he say? He says, therefore, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. And then he says, the Jew first, the religious people, and also the Greek, the rebellious people. In other words, as the scripture says elsewhere, judgment begins where? 
Judgment begins in the house of God. Now, we continue with the text here because what Paul is doing in chapter 2 of Romans is he is talking to those who feel that they are good people because they're religious, because they obey, because they've got religious pedigree and they've got religious history. And he's going to challenge them. Now, what he says in chapter 2 is going to help the religious people among us give it a rest. Give it a rest. Because religion doesn't work. Okay? Religion doesn't work. Question. Have you ever been frustrated with the results of your faith? Your faith practice? Have you ever been frustrated with... You prayed and God said, no, you believed and it didn't happen. You obeyed and God didn't give you what you thought you deserved. Have you ever thought that you deserved better from life or from God? Have you ever thought, man, this isn't fair. Have you ever wondered why God won't answer certain prayers in your life and thought, well, I guess he's not there, or I guess he doesn't care. Have you ever been there? That's where the religious people were in Paul's day. And, and, and you've got to understand that this is why Romans chapter uh, 2 is really going to apply to our lives. Because there's a disconnect with religious people and the results of their religion many times. Here's the disconnect. God will not say yes to your prayers based on your external religious practices as if those external religious practices compel God to bless you. And more importantly, God wants to implant something into your heart that transforms you into a new person from the inside. We pray about the outside. God looks and is concerned about the inside. And here's why that matters. Because if, if the inside is healed and whole and transformed and connected to God and filled with the Holy Ghost, whatever happens on the outside can be handled. The scripture says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Meaning, if you have God in you, it doesn't matter what's coming against you outside of you. I can't think of a better uh, statement in our COVID-crazy, highly divisive, politically enraged, us-versus-them culture than that truth right there. If God is in you and he has healed your heart, it doesn't matter what happens on the outside of you. Because as St. Augustine once famously said, our hearts are restless and they will only be at rest when they find uh, their rest in God. So with that in mind, let's get into the text and let's talk about what it meant. All right, in this section of the deep dive, we talk about, you know, what Paul is actually saying. So Romans 2 17 and let's pick it up on uh you know what let's do it on the bible cam because i like going to the bible cam and i want to get better at going to the bible cam all right by the way if you're taking notes uh or i'm sorry if you're commenting down below let me know where you're watching from down below in the comment section <laughs> romans 2 17 
But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, three things, call yourself a Jew, rely on the law, boast in God, and then more things, and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure, look what he says here, that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children having the in the, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth dash and we're going to stop there for a second because we're going to we're going to deal with this what is paul doing he is addressing who he is addressing the jewish christians in the roman church if you go back to episode 1 we talked about this one of the things that paul is addressing in the book of romans is that there were jewish christians who felt entitled and then there were gentile christians who were outnumbering them and the reason why the jews felt entitled is because they had religion they had the law they had all the sacrifices the feasts the festivals the 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 old testament the torah was that was theirs like they were god's chosen people and then the gentiles start coming into the faith and they come from paganism they come from idolatry they come from you know sacrificing their children sacrificing uh, you know in and out of marriages sexual morality they come from all that stuff and they're getting saved and their hearts are starting to change and it's the job and listen to me if you're a church person listen to me because this is gonna this is gonna scratch you the wrong way it's the job of the person who's in the church to have an open hand an open heart to those who are coming into the church it's the job of the longtime believer to have a heart for the new believer. It's the job of the really devout, devoted Christian to have his eye on those God is bringing to himself. And the fundamental problem with most Christian churches, especially in this country, and I am speaking from experience because I have been raised in the church and I have watched this my whole life, is that Christian churches in America have an older brother problem. They have an older brother problem. The older brother from the prodigal son story, Luke 15, we talked about it last week. Who is this who is this son of yours who comes back after wasting your inheritance? Who do these people think they are? These single mothers, oh, these sexually immoral people, these people from the other side of the tracks. I don't think that they deserve to be part of this family. I've been here. I served. I ministered the soup kitchen. I swept the floors, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and what happens is you become, before you know it, you become religious in spirit and you no longer have a heart for people far from God. And what Paul is talking about in Romans 2 is he is challenging those people who believe that their religious pedigree entitles them to some semblance of religious superiority and it's not true so back to the text he says if you call yourself a jew if you rely on the law if you boast in god three things this was these were three ways that the jews of the first century uh, boasted about their spiritual pedigree. First, they called themselves Jews, which meant that they believed, yeah, you know what? We're really good because, you know, we're the Jewish people. And Jews, the word Jew has a very uh, per- pejorative uh, connotation to it because I believe of the last century, Nazism and uh, communism and the hatred for Jews amongst the history of the nations is really a sick, sick, sad, anti-Semitic history. But in in the first century, the term Jew was a very positive uh, term. Oh, and by the way, I'm saying it is a very positive term today. I'm just saying that you know, different ages have a different perspective of words. Anyway, the point is they said, oh, we're Jews, which was a very complimentary kind of boastful statement. And then he says, you rely on the law and you boast to God. So they rely on the law, meaning that they believe, okay, this is our law. God gave it to our uh, forefather in the faith, Moses. He didn't give it to the pagans. He gave it to us. And then the third boast is, if you're sure that you are a guide to the blind, look at it, look at it. If you are sure that you are a guide to the blind, Okay, that's who he's talking to. The people who felt that because they had the law, they were there to instruct those pesky Gentiles how to live. 
They were there to talk about what was right and godly. And the Gentiles were foolish and stupid and, you know, empty and all that sort of th- all that sort of thing. So he says, look, if that's you, and then go on to the next, go on to the next verse, verse 21. You who t- uh, teach others, do you then teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Do you commit, uh, do you abhor idols? Do you, uh, I'm sorry, do you, uh, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Uh, you, you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What he's saying here is, if you're so confident that you are good, and you are a moral person, ask yourself now, honestly, don't you do the very same things that you preach against? Or at least, aren't you challenging yourself in these very same areas? And this is the religious spirit. This is the older brother spirit. It is so easy to point the finger at the younger brothers and the moral people and not realize that we got to work on ourselves and we should be in the business of confessing our sins and coming humbly to God for his forgiveness. Now, Paul could address this with absolute authority. Do you know why? Because he was the older brother of the prodigal son story. He was, going to Philippians chapter 3, he he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the, uh, what did he say, the Jew of Jews, the tribe of Benjamin, the, in regards to the law, blameless. And then he gets to that point where he says, yeah, but all that stuff I consider lost because now I found Christ. In other words, when I came to know Christ, I gave it a rest. When I came to know Christ, religious practice was no longer my boast and my good works and all of those things that I thought I was doing for God's, for God's forgiveness and for God's, uh, you know, God's um, love and acceptance. Those proved worthless because he found me when I was completely engaged in self-love and self-worship and self-adulation, and he saved me when I didn't want it. And he gave me a righteousness that does not come from my own moral performance. He gave me a righteousness that is his gift by by grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And what he's doing is he's unpacking, he's deconstructing religious superiority. Look what he says back here in verse 24 one more time because it's a very potent phrase for as is written the name of god is blasphemed among the gentiles because of you in other words you you jews who point your finger at gentiles but you do the same things you might not do them as overtly you do them covertly oh that's big you should you should probably write that down okay there's overt sins and then there are covert sins and here's the difference many times between non-believers and believers. Um, non-believers commit overt sins and believers commit covert sins. So we'll rail against it, but we'll do it behind closed doors. And what Paul says is the name of God is blasphemed because of you. You know that law in the Ten Commandments, the third law, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's how you break that law. That's not just saying the name Jesus Christ um, uh, vainly, although that's bad. I shouldn't. You should never do that. But you take the name of the Lord your God in vain when you claim to follow him and you don't and you don't live like him. And you're all over everybody else, but you never check yourself. And this is Paul deconstructing, deconstructing, deconstructing the religious people that are in the church in Rome because it is far more common to have older brothers who are 
completely disconnected from the heart of God than younger brothers who are desperate for his forgiveness in the church. This is an American problem. It was a first century problem. It was a problem for the church in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 15. As Gentiles are coming in and they don't know what to do and they're worried about these, gen- these dirty Gentiles becoming Christian. Well, they need to get circumcised. And they need to follow all the laws. They need to celebrate the feast. And they need to do all the Jewish things. And, and, and Peter's like, guys, we couldn't do that. And James is like, yeah, let's not make it hard on, on Gentiles to come to Christ. Because you know what? It's not about religious pedigree anymore. It's about faith in the Son of God. Jesus did what none of us could do so that we could have what none of us could have in him, and that is a relationship with God the Father by faith in his Son. That's what's being talked about here in Romans chapter 2. we got to go on. Verse uh, 25. Verse 25. Here's what he says. For circumcision. Now, this was another boast. Okay, so they boasted about their <laughs> the, 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 the number one sign of your devotion to God was that you circumcised your sons and they were circumcised from birth. And he says, well, that's a value, he says in verse 25, if, big if here, if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes, check this out, <laughs> this is bad. Your circumcision becomes, in other words, you're not, even, you're not even really a Jew anymore if you're not following the law. Then verse 26, he says, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision, in other words, uh, he doesn't have the law, but he's, he's more devoted to following God than you, wouldn't that be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and, the circum- and circumcision, but break the law. Here's what he's saying, and it is so powerful, and it is so cutting to the the deep and theologically sound and rich and seasoned believers in the Roman church in the first century. Here's what he's saying. If a non-believer acts and lives more obedient to God than a believer, isn't that a sign that they are far more of a believer than you? Ouch. This is how you get hated. This is how you get the church to really turn on you. Just tell them they're all not as good as the unbelievers who are acting better than them. <laughs> now, again, it's not works righteousness. He's not talking about, he's not talking about okay, now, unbelievers, they're, they're living good lives so they get saved. That, no, no. He's making an argument to deconstruct religious super, superiority. Please don't miss that. He's not saying, oh, those unbelievers without their circumcision uh, who live good lives, God will accept. That's not what he's saying. He's saying your religious practice is not saving you. Your religious pedigree, the things that you boast in, the fact that you've been in church your whole life, that's not the proof that God is looking for. He's looking for something deeper to happen in you because anybody can go to church, anybody can get baptized, anybody can go through the motions externally of religiosity and have a heart that is as corrupted as the most wicked unbeliever out there. That famous line from David's life when God says to Samuel, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. So here's the deconstruction. Are you ready? Do not rely on your religious practice to gain acceptance before God. This is what the Jews were doing in the Christian church in Rome in Paul's day. And this is the reason for his letter to the Romans. This is why, guys, by the way, you get frustrated with your faith. 
I opened this conversation by talking about that. Has anybody ever been disappointed with the results of their Christian faith? Has anybody been disappointed with the results of their prayers? Have any, ha, have any of you ever thought, man, I really feel like I deserve better from God for the things that I'm doing. And I don't know why he always favors everybody. Else, and he's not favoring me. Okay, it, there's a good chance that you are relying on your religious practice. You're relying on your religious practice to gain acceptance before God. And by acceptance, you mean you want him to bless you because you've been a good boy or a good girl. This is why religious people can get cranky. <laughs> this is why you can find many religious observant Christians are some of the meanest people on the planet because they feel they are entitled. Um, you know, there's a passage that's very relevant to this. It's in Mark chapter two and Jesus goes to this house and he's teaching and the house is packed and it's so packed that there's these four guys who want to bring their lame friend to get healed. And very famous story. And we get all caught up on the externalities of the story because the guys go up on the, on the roof and they dig a hole in the roof and then they lay down, they, they lower their friend down below in front of Jesus and Jesus says, okay, uh, son, you are forgiven of your sins. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't just climb up the roof and lower him down before you to get forgiveness, Jesus. We, we, we want him healed. Can't you see he's a lame man? He can't walk. And then the religious people pipe up. The, the older brothers of that story pipe up and they say, hey, 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 uh, who is this who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus hears them say that and he says, okay, you ask, you tell me what's easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. Of course, saying your sins are forgiven is easier because he doesn't have to get up and walk to prove that his sins are forgiven. But he says that you might know that I have the authority, that the son of man has authority to forgive sins. I say to the paralytic, rise, get up and walk. And he does. And, and there's a powerful truth that, that Jesus is unpacking there. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I have come to change the problem that's inside of you before I deal with anything wrong on the outside of you. And to make sure that I have, the, and to make sure that you understand that I have the authority to deal with what's on the inside of you, I'll fix the outside of you for this, just, just to show you guys. My mission was to come to forgive sins. Yes, he healed. Yes, he raised the dead. Yes, he did all those things. But can I tell you, and this is hard to hear, but everybody that Jesus raised from the dead died again. Lazarus, Lazarus, poor Lazarus had to die twice. Like, think about that. It's hard enough to die once. He had to die twice. The signs and the miracles were not the ends. They were the means to bring faith to people, to believe that Jesus came to set them free from the greatest problem facing them, their sins. That's why all during COVID, I was beating this drum again and again and again. I still am. The greatest problem you're facing is not threat of death at COVID. The greatest problem you are facing right now is the threat of eternal death in hell. And it will always be that case until Jesus comes in and saves you from your eternal separation from God. But we have to understand that in Jesus's day, people were depending. They were depending on their religious practice to gain acceptance before God. I, I take you back to this drawing. I, I drove this on the screen last week, and I want to put it back up there because it's very relevant. You have to see that in the this is a this is the timeline of uh, the Jews' history from the time of the judges until Jesus comes. And there's this break. There's this seventy-year break uh, of exile in Babylon, and it kind of breaks up their spiritual condition kind of cleanly because before their exile, they were a rebellious, always wandering from God. God hands them over into the Babylonian hands for 70 years, and they realize what they've lost. And when they come back to the land through Ezra, Nehemiah, 
and others, they decide, okay, now our rebellion got us into this mess. So now what we're going to do is going to become completely religious. We're going to become the most religious we can. And unfortunately, their religion produced an avoidance of the world and this superiority uh, of, of character or, or, or arrogance. And that's the crowd that Jesus appears to. And that's why Jesus doesn't always address um, the the what what we would call the mortal sins or the very bad you know uh, overt sins because he's dealing with this religious group of people and and I fear that in the church today there are still numbers of people who are like this and here's the thing some of you have got to listen listen closely because God saved you powerfully from a rebellious lifestyle you were into drugs you were into sexual morality you were into all kinds of nonsense and jesus saved you and you've got to be on your you've got to be on your guard that you don't become this that you don't become so radically um radically angry about the life that you lived that you become uh legalistically legalistic and religious about the life that you now have. And I can tell you this because I grew up in the church and I saw people come out of the Jesus movement. These were the druggies, the hippies, the sexual immoral, the, you know, the people who basically were the younger brothers of the 1960s and the sexual revolutionaries. And they walked off into all these things. They did LSD, they did acid, they did crack, cocaine, all these things. And then God radically saved them. They called them the Jesus people. And they got radically saved. They came into the church and then they became some of the most tyrannical, legalistic people on the planet because they were so mad about their rebellion. They saw what rebellion got them. They became utterly devoted to religion and, and cleanness of living. And, and the unintended consequences is you become a religious nut. You become a religiously intolerant, hateful person. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not saved. I'm saying, though, that it's just, the, it's just how the human heart works. And then we start pointing fingers and we say, okay, this is, that's a bad person. That's a good person. Oh, you see that person got bad? That's because they're a bad person. Oh, and that person got good. They must have been a good person. You know, Jesus talks about this in Luke 13 because this is where the people were. They were so religiously devoted. They thought that anything that they had that was good was because of their religious devotion. And anything that happened that was bad was because of somebody's sin. And in Luke chapter 13, let me put this on the screen, actually. Jesus talks about this. He says, There were some present at the time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? He says, No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Please see and please understand that these kind of statements are what absolutely infuriated the religious people of Jesus's day because they were utterly convinced that anybody who suffered suffered because they were bad. They were sinners and they deserved it. And Jesus totally undermines that. And he says, listen, uh, and, and what happened in this He's referencing this moment where Pilate literally killed people in the temple of Jerusalem, took their blood and poured it out with the sacrifices of animals. This was sacrilegious to Jewish people. And Jesus says, you are no better than them and you are no worse than them. Remember, we talked about this last week. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And what older brothers in the church, what older religious people in the church have got to remind themselves on a regular basis is that our standing before God is never 
based on our religion, our pedigree, our good works, how, how much we pray, how much we fast. It is statements like this in Luke 13, where Jesus turns it on them and says, no, I tell you, unless you also repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, we all deserve to die. We all deserve judgment. And only by God's grace can we be saved through faith. It is statements like this that got Jesus crucified. Remember that it was the people who knew the Bible the most that hated Jesus the most. Now I know. We don't like to hear these things because, because this hits us between the eyes. This challenges that religious, that sense of religious entitlement, or spiritual entitlement, Christian entitlement, whatever you want to call it. And what Paul is doing here, again, we are only in diagnosis mode right now of Romans. And we've got a long way to go, but it's important that we bear in on these things. It's important that we bear down on them because they help us understand the gospel and they help us understand God's grace and they help lead us to salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit. But until we have our religious superiority uh, the rug pulled out from under us, we will never look for the power that alone comes from God to live the life God wants us to live. So what Paul is doing, he is deconstructing religious superiority. Last week, deconstructing the religious spirit. This week, superiority. Because religious people, good people, moral people, usually feel a sense of superiority toward irreligious people. I deserve I'm a good person. I've done so much more for God than them. By the way, and here's how we're going to get a little bit political now. We're going to get a little bit right, right on the nose now with our current cultural moment. Right now, with the vaccine, we are seeing this play out on both sides of the vaccine debate. We are seeing this play out on both sides. I can't tell you how many times I've heard and seen on social media and in comments um, the people who are pro-vaccine talking about how good they are, how much they care for their neighbors, how morally upright they are, how good, what good citizens they are, yada, 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 yada. And then on the other side are the anti-vaxxers who are mocking those people. And it's kind of like the pro-vaxxers are the older brothers of the prodigal son story and the anti-vaxxers are the younger brother of the prodigal son story. And my hope and prayer is not that the younger brothers get sick or that the older brothers have problems with their vaccine. My hope and prayer is that um, can we not look down on each other regardless of what side we might fall on because there's enough division in the world. The church has got to come together about what is the true spirit spiritual vaccine for every human being. And that vaccine is the blood of Jesus Christ. That if that has cleansed you of your sins, you are set free from the most vile disease of all, the, the disease of sin. But it's kind of interesting how we will take our political position. We will take our side in cultural disagreements and divisions, and we will make those our moral case causes and our moral superiorities. And we will look down on other people. I talked about uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul last night on the deep end, and she was talking to a largely black audience in a black church in Brooklyn and talking about how smart they were. You're the smart people. Well, I know you're vaccinated. Well, unfortunately, Kathy Hockle, only 40%, according to the recent statistics, only 40% of black people are vaccinated. That means 60% aren't. There's a good chance that 60% of the people you were talking to on Sunday are not vaccinated. And the crowd was kind of silent when she was talking about that. And the point that I'm making is not get vaccinated or not or or avoid vaccination. My point is we will make anything a, a sense of pride, 
a sense of superiority. We will, we will use the color of our skin to look down at people, something that we have nothing to do with. We will, we will uh, take pride in our clothing. We will take pride in our education. We will take pride in um, our victimhood. Like that's kind of like the victimhood, you know, the victim mantras today. Everybody's vying to be the biggest victim of the culture. <laughs> and so everybody's claiming to be oppressed and everybody's claiming to be, you know, really downtrodden and, and disadvantaged and, you know, one of the marginalized communities. Well, maybe so. But be careful that you don't let that now become your boasting because your victimhood has now made you what? A better person than the non-victim person? You see, I'm trying to tell you, and this is not, I, you, some of you are going to think I'm getting political. I'm not. You're, if you think I'm getting political, you're not paying attention because here's what I'm talking about. The human heart is so desperately desperate for approval and righteousness and some sense of this is what makes me right. We will pick anything if our righteousness does not come from God. Ooh, this is good teaching. I hope you I hope you are catching it. That's what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter two. He is talking about the fact that you guys boast, you think you're so great. And yet, listen, all of us stand guilty before the Father in the most important issue of the world. That is our sin. But it doesn't stop us. It doesn't stop us from reaching for what I want to call in this talk, uh, quote unquote, modern circumcision ideology. So the Jews boasted about their circumcision. Well, we have modern circumcisions today. We really do. And I'm going to put them up on the screen because they are, you may have heard these. You may have even said these. Maybe you even say them to yourself now. Here's one. I was raised, baptized, christened, confirmed in the blank church. Fill in the blank. It could be whatever you want. I was baptized in that Baptist church in 1974, so I'm good with God. Or I was christened in the Catholic church, so I'm a good person. Or, you know, I was raised Catholic, so I must be good with God. And there becomes this ideology that I'm trusting now not in Christ. I'm trusting in the fact that my parents raised me Catholic. I'm trusting the fact that I was part of a Baptist church once. Uh, here's one from my church because it can happen in my church. We do the hands raised moment at the end of every service. And so there are some people that might think, well, I put my hand up. That's it now, right? I'm good with God. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. No, that's, I said this week, it's one decision in a line of a thousand others to follow God, to hand your life over, to surrender to Jesus on a day-by-day basis. And um, that's, that's, that's one modern circumcision ideology. Another one. I had this experience with God one time. So this is the uh, this is the person who says, well, I, I had this moment where I felt the spirit. I don't know if you could call it the spirit. I was actually having a conversation with a guy this week about this. And he, he literally thought he was good with God because of this. Uh, you know, I had this feeling that I fell and I suddenly was awakened. And now I know and I got away from things and I saw this and we can do this with almost anything. Oh, I went to the mountain and I felt this sense of peace and the sun was shining and everything was really like wonderful and warm inside. And that was the moment that I met God. Really? Really? And that's, that's it. Now you're thinking that's it? Or, or another one. I've worked in the church and served in the church for whatever. 60 years. <laughs> Let's just fill in the blanks since it's there. It's just begging to be filled in, right? I, I, I've been there, done that. You know, I, I've been in the church for so long. 
Surely I'm good with God. Modern circumcision, religious superiority boastings. Perhaps no more damning verse for those people in the Bible than Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And we've already talked about it in this, in this uh, season. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not? And look at the phrase, because we misinterpret this passage all the time. He says, Lord, this is what they're going to say to me. Did we not? In other words, our works equals, you know, justification before you. Did we not? Right? Sorry about my chicken scratch on the screen. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty miracles in your name? And I would declare to them, I, I didn't even, I don't know you. Yikes. Th- that is a challenge to the circumcision ideology of I've served in the church. I've done those things. I've been there. I've done that. Careful. Another one. Uh, this is, this is. Across the board, you don't even have to be religious for this one. Modern circumcision ideologies, in other words, boasting in you rather than in the in the grace of God for you. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And this is, I always say to our church and our leadership guys, I always say this is America's number one religion. Uh, I'm a good person. I'm a good personism, which means uh, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. Why? Well, because, you know, I have never killed anybody. Uh, I've pay my taxes, well, mostly, and um, I've been nice to my children, you know, 90% of the time, and I'm definitely not one of those evil, evil drug addicts or prostitutes, so I'm a good person. (laughs) To, To them, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How are you doing with that standard? How are you doing with be perfect? None of us are doing well with that. And this is why Paul will get to the point where he says in Romans 3, there's none who are good. There is none who seek God. There is none righteous. The question for the I'm a good person people that I always have is this. How do you know that you are good enough? That's kind of an important question. How do you know? I'm a good person. Okay, what's the good? Like, where where is that buoying up to? So... Paul is unpacking this, and then he gets to this point with, the, with the, again, the Roman Jews. In verse 28, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. In other words, remember those three boasts? I'm a Jew. I'm, I got the law. I, I'm a guide to the blind. He says, listen, none of that outward stuff matters. You can have all the accoutrements of religious practice on the outside and still be lost on the inside. And this is huge because you don't understand the gospel until you get to this point. Anyway, that's what it meant. Let's talk about what it means. That's as, that's as far as we're going with the text today. And uh, we're going to wrap this up real quickly. So hang tight. And if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to the channel or let me know where you're watching down in the comments below. Okay, what it means, here's what it means. Beware of the religious boast. Beware of the religious boast. God will smoke you out on that, as he did with his people many times. 
in the, to the people in Zechariah's day, here's what he says. Then the word, this is Zechariah 7, 4. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? What he's talking about is the religious feasts, the religious ceremonies of the Old Testament, the fasting and the praying. He asks his own people. He says, did you do that for me or did you do that for you? Because we can be so caught up in working for the Lord, we can actually avoid the Lord. One of my first professional conversations in the working world, in my work life, I worked for a bank for many years and I met my, my bank manager, my, my um, boss, my direct boss at that time was a uh, lifelong Catholic, parochial school, Catholic college, Catholic university, right? And Catholic services, mass every Saturday night, faithfully, 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 faithfully. I would quote the Bible in just passing conversation. I wouldn't sit there and be like, that's the Lord. You know, you just, as a Christian, sometimes you just quote the Bible and, and they would say, where'd you get that? <laughs> and I'd say, that's from the Bible. She's like, the Bible? Really? It's beautiful. And uh, <laughs> it was always funny because here she was, uh, raised Catholic, raised by the church, schooled by the church, in the church every single week. And she did not know the word of God. She had been so caught up in the external realities, but there was no internal change. This is the, this is why I say, beware the religious boast. There's another event. There's another passage that's very relevant to this. Isaiah 58, God says, verse three, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Knowledge of it. In other words, we're good people, God, and you don't give us what we deserve. Why don't you give us what we deserve? Behold, in the day of your fast, God says, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight. Ooh, that's good for us right now in, in COVID land. And to hit with a wicked f fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? In other words, you can go through all the outward external motions of religious practice. You can go to church, guys. You can go to youth camp. You can go to uh, the, the soup kitchen and serve. But if there's no heart change, if there's no transformation inside, and you're doing it because you think this is going to get me the goodies from God, you're not serving God, you're serving yourself. That's what, that's what Isaiah's, fifth, Isaiah, Isaiah's crowd was doing, and that's what we still do to this day. And then he goes on in the very next passage, look at it. He says, is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. In other words, you know what God is really interested in? He's really interested in you loving your neighbor. He's really interested in you not doing goodness so that God will bless you. 
He's really interested in you doing goodness because you already know God has blessed you and people around you need to see it. That's what the older brother in the prodigal son story should have done. He should have gone after that younger brother. He should have gone. He should have set the table for the feast that day. He should have gone out and slaughtered that fattened calf because his brother was alive again. And what I'm telling you, and if you're one of our church members or you're going to a church and they have no heart for the Lord and you don't want to invite people and you don't want to serve to help make them welcome, ask yourself if your religion, if your faith in this Jesus who came to seek and save that which was lost really means anything at all. This is a gut check for the church. This is a gut check for the religious among us. As Martin Luther famously said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. This is what it means today. Get off your religious program. Give it a rest, as St. Augustine would probably say today. No, I'm not saying that um, religious practice is bad. We should fast, we should pray, we should have personal devotions, we should do things like tuning into the deep dive. But those things are the response of a Christian's heart to a very good God. So in summary, uh, religious superiority judges all things externally. Number two, religious superiority can be a problem for anyone in any group. We already talked about it. Vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, maskers, anti-maxxers. I'm a good person. You're a bad person. Us versus them. Blah, 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 blah. Religious superiority, number three, demands or expects things from God. I deserve. God isn't giving me what I expect. I've been good. And then religious superiority plays the compare contrast game with others. And ladies and gentlemen, I think this is where we are right now as a culture. And I'm, you see how the book of Romans just kind of like picks us apart, doesn't it? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it wonderful to see the Bible just go to, just start doing spiritual surgery and all the nonsense that we see on the nightly news? Isn't it awesome to see how the Bible just picks apart our little self-righteous little subgroups of culture so that we can say, wait a second, this is not actually helping. And this is actually not bringing life and grace to anybody. It's just bringing hatred and animosity to our culture. And that brings me to why it matters. The spirit of religiosity or a spirit of uh, religious superiority is infecting everything. It's infecting our news. It's infecting our politics. It's infecting our schools. It's infecting the church. It's infecting our, our race relations. It's infecting our social structures. And, and here's why it matters. Big point here, guys. As long as we have a system of externalities to brag about, we avoid the internal change God offers. As long as we have our own little subgroups of us versus them, we're good people, they're bad people, shame on them, yay to us. All of us, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, but Muslims, Buddhist, Jew, whatever. As long as we have this little set of rules for our little group that says this is what makes us good people and shame on all those other people who don't. We will always avoid the internal change that God offers. See, the Christian message, the gospel, is for every person on the planet. 
It's not just the Christian message. It's the it's the world's message. It's the it's God's message to the world. And even Christians can avoid this message because they're so caught up in their little system of externalities. So we need the gospel, guys. Because division is everywhere. Because the more division, the more isolation. You feel lonelier this year than last year? You feel lonelier in your life? Has, has all of our political divisions uh, separated you from friends and family? Could it be that you've gotten into this us versus them and you don't even realize it? Number three, because our hearts are set free to serve others when we stop religiously serving ourselves. We need the gospel to save us. And then number four, and lastly, when we believe none of us deserve God's grace, we are far more generous with God's grace. You see how the message of Romans is far more than a Sunday school story or a biblical text that you take out of context and just apply to your own little personal spirituality. This is a culturally invasive message that deconstructs all of us, all of us, and lays us bare before the Father as sinners who need His grace. It's going to get better. It's going to get better as we continue on, as we turn to page of chapter three. I can't wait for it. Um, you're going to want to stick around. I'm glad you were here tonight, though. Make sure that you check me out, as always, at timhatchlive.com or timhatchlive at all of our social media channels. If you haven't already, consider buying my book. It's called Move, Entering into God's Promises for You. Would love you to leave a review on Amazon if you've read it. Pick up some swag at the channel. If you buy this stuff on the channel, you support the channel, and we do have bills to pay. Or you could just support us. That would be even better. You could just support us through the cash tag, uh, Tim Hatch Live, right there on the cash app. You can do that right now, $5, $10, $20. Please don't tithe to us. Tithe to your church. But if you can generously give, it would be great. Help us pay our bills. Oh, and then by the way, uh, next Thursday, I know you're excited, not tomorrow, but next Thursday, 10 Questions with Tim is back, the first Thursday of every month. And I think we're loaded up with questions, but you know what? Never too early to save up for next month. Ask at timhatchlive.com or even in the comments below. And we will love, I would love to answer your questions. And I know we have a whole bunch of them that came in. Uh, so thanks for being here tonight, guys. No deep end this Tuesday. Just so you know, we might have the deep dive Wednesday. We may not. Let's play it by ear. <laughs> Uh, but we will definitely have 10 questions with Tim next Thursday. I look forward to seeing you. God bless you. And may God's grace be the only boast of your entire life. Take care.